Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back to Better Words. Today we are welcoming Laura Kay back to the podcast to chat about her new novel, Tell Me Everything. In this book, we meet Natasha, a therapist who appears to have everything under control, but whose life is actually falling apart. Uh, Hard relate. Um, Anyway, (laughs) Natasha is still living with her ex-girlfriend, has a bit of a messy love life and is too afraid to commit more than a one night stand until she meets Margot. And that, as in all good rom-coms, will be the catalyst for so much change. Tell Me Everything is a brilliant contemporary novel with a really sexy lesbian love story at its heart, but there's also so much more. It's about friendships and family and trying to realise you don't have to do everything alone. Laura's next book, Wild Things, is out in 2023 and we cannot wait to nab a copy of that. So please enjoy our chat with Laura Kay. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Okay. Welcome back to the podcast, Laura Kay. Thank you so much for joining us. When you joined us last time, it was about your debut novel, The Split, and you were working on your book that would become Tell Me Everything, which is now out in the world. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us everything about Tell Me Everything. Um, and then we'll find out a little bit more about what that else just rolls right off the tongue, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> That's perfect. <isn't> it? <laughs> That's why we did it. Um, tell Me Everything. So Tell Me Everything is about um, Natasha. She's a therapist. Um, it's set in Brighton. And she seems to have everything together for her clients and for her professional life. But actually her personal life is a total mess. At the beginning of the book, she's living with her ex-girlfriend and um, she moves out and she meets someone that really sort of shakes up her life and her perspective on things. And uh, we just sort of follow her journey towards finding happiness for herself and figuring out her sort of personal and familial relationships to get herself to a place where she's like treating herself with the same kindness and giving herself like taking the same advice as that she gives her clients these kind of books are our favorite just like the journey just to personal, personal journey. discovery <laughs> just a personal journey yeah, yeah exactly and i love the concept that like to i imagine i imagine that no one thinks that much about what their therapist or psychologist's life is like behind <laughs> like them sitting in that chair across from them you know like well I always think that like there's such a like blank slate for you to project onto and I like know some people that are therapists as friends and um it's I just love thinking of them in that setting being like hmm and how do you feel about that just being like you know knowing what's going on behind closed doors which is like messy love life like don't know what they're doing like <laughs> freaking out like all of this stuff and I just love that like dichotomy oh my it's gosh they're human where too. you think <laughs> yeah that they're not human yeah I mean like the classic yeah. like seeing your 
teachers outside of school or something it's like what are you doing here that, yeah exactly <laughs> you're like you don't exist outside of that room yeah and because yeah. we're all like we've talked about this so many times in the podcast because we're all like living our own main character energy of course we don't really yeah. especially when you're going to therapy you're like my problems are massive <laughs> like you're not yeah. thinking yeah. about other people and you're not yeah it, it's just a lot and I think if you started to think like is this triggering anything for them then you just would never get anywhere <laughs> but yeah I yeah, always yeah, think yeah. it must be such a tough profession but that's also because I'm the sort of person that has to debrief whenever something happens so I'm like how I could not do yeah. like confidentiality I'm like oh my god guys oh my god me oh either god. I'd be like you won't believe what someone <laughs> I would tell everyone's secrets <laughs> <laughs> And it it is interesting, isn't it? Because I was just thinking, oh, can I think of any other like books, TV shows, movies or anything with um, like a therapist as like a character where we see their outside lives, not someone that the main character goes to see. Um, And all I could think of was in Freaky Friday, how Lindsay Lohan's (gasps) mum is the therapist. And so it's Lindsay Lohan, like it's like her teenage daughter in Jamie Lee Curtis and she's like trying to listen to these adults. I totally that forgot such that. such a good example. I, I thought of, when you were saying that, Caitlin, I thought of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I don't know why that popped into my head, but... Like, oh, yeah. Well, we, don't don't really, we don't really see her private oh, life, yeah. but, like, I love how, like, you can see she's just like, oh, my God, like, I, you're not taking yeah, any advice. Yeah, she's not listening like, to her therapist. Yeah, yeah, like, I think the therapist becomes a really interesting character in that. Um, yeah. But yeah. I think the most yeah. we get out of her is, like, she runs out of the room and it's like, oh, my God, she's not <laughs> listening to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm li- uh, the book I'm reading at the moment, which actually – came from from you Caitlin it's a HarperCollins book called No Hard Feelings by Genevieve Novak which highly recommend um one of the ones I'm going to be bringing over for friends in the UK because it's really good yes very Aussie very Melbourne yeah but like it's one of those books that as soon as you start reading I was like oh I love the writing style like great mix of humor and stuff anyway there's a whole thing in there where she's going to see a therapist and the conversation is unfolding and stuff and I was just like oh my god you're just I wish you could see what you're doing <laughs> because you, you as the reader are so aware of where she's going wrong, but then we're, you're also very yeah. cognizant of the fact that we've probably all been there and you're just like, oh my God, yeah. you can't see this. Like, oh. <laughs> um, so I'm interested in terms of bringing in therapy and stuff like that, how much of the book actually features therapy things and did you have to do much research around that or were you able to ask your therapist friends yeah so I I did do some I did quite a lot of research because I really wanted to get those sessions right there are quite a lot of sessions in the book it it opens with a session and um we meet some of her clients throughout it's just like a little way to like get an insight into her work but also into her and it's her sort of internal monologue while people are talking so I did do research and I did speak to my like so I wrote the scenes I've had I've had therapy so like I had an idea of like how a therapist might respond to certain things. Yeah, but and from then their I perspective, I guess, would be quite different. Yeah, um, and I was like, would this be a reasonable thing to say? Would this be a reasonable way to react? And um, they sort of corrected me on a couple of things, but, like, mostly they were like, this is that's pretty much what I'm thinking <laughs> when someone's <laughs> revealing these things about themselves. Or, like, they're telling me for the thousandth time something their boyfriend's done. And I can't wait to read this. Like, I feel like it's just going to make oh, me laugh I so mean, much. it sounds really juicy. Yeah. yeah. The, the therapist, the therapy sessions were like some of my favorite bits to write. It's just so fun. And um, she like, I really love this character. She like has a really strong sort of internal voice and um, sort of point of view. So yeah, those are really fun bits. 
really fun bits to write. And did doing the sort of internal reactions to things, did that allow you to be a bit more like, what the fuck, um, when she has to be professional? Yeah. Like you can go a bit because it's in her head. You can sort of do whatever in her internal totally. monologue and then do the actual yeah, yeah, yeah. accurate stuff outside. Was that quite fun? So, so fun. Yeah, she's like super measured and super calm and like does that like classic therapist thing of like just repeating back to you what you've said and you don't even know that you've said it and it's like so annoying. And um, But the inside she's like, oh my God, this is so boring. Like, like trying to check the clock like which is directly behind the client's head so they don't notice and like all of this stuff yeah yeah oh my good fun all the therapist tricks of the trade yeah well see this is another reason why I this is another reason why I couldn't be a therapist I show everything on my face so I feel like it would really show or like if someone said something that like was really weird or something I'd just be like "Mm," like no (laughs) like I just it would show so much I mean it would be so hard in that particular job, but I just think like sort of any, I mean, like health probably particularly where you sort of really have to like listen to people or things like that. I find it so draining when in like a professional setting as well, like sometimes in a more casual setting, you can get away with a bit of like, you know, getting like small talk and getting yeah. out of it or something like that. But in a more professional setting where it's like, I'm interested in you you know not Mm. mentioning any authors that I work with by name or anything but um (laughs) you know sometimes (laughs) it's like yeah okay I'm oh it's kind of a lot after a day sometimes in interviews I zone out especially if I have to go to like a political press conference or something and like like I don't zone out in these interviews because they're fun but if I'm doing stuff for work every topic in the world is interesting oh my goodness any political thing like half the time I'm just like those words like they're not you don't actually saying anything yeah like half the time I'm like critically just being like you're just stringing words together or I'm thinking like if I'm doing something for radio like we're gonna use we're gonna use an 8 to 16 second grab so sometimes I'm just like oh my god this is such a waste of my time the 16 (laughs) seconds of copy that I'm gonna have to write this is why am I here like just like oh I'm getting sunburned because you've gone on and on and on yeah like and that just like like, I could just read a press release I know just like yeah why I'm getting (laughs) sunburned oh my arm's getting really sore maybe I should just do a strategic shift of my arm like it's like so now and then like but it used to happen all the time as well when I was even when I was a newspaper reporter and like I'd come back and like my boss would be like what'd they say and I'm like I'm just gonna have to look over my notes for that one because I'm like I wasn't listening to that (laughs) I don't know all I saw was their mouth moving (laughs) so bad oh my goodness I mean yeah writing internal monologue like that must be so fun (laughs) yeah it is it's really fun I mean, we've talked obviously about the story, but I kind of wanted to jump mm. to the cover because the cover is yeah. so beautiful and so colourful and fun, but it's also very, very different to the split. And I was just looking on your Instagram again um, today, and were the proofs of Tell Me Everything in the similar style to the split? So there must have been a yeah. late cover change. Yeah, so we, so the split um, hardback was the blue cover with a big graphic strawberry on the front which really loved but we decided it didn't sell the story at all like you you would have no idea what was going on um so we changed that for the paperback which is this gorgeous like yellow cover with the little cat and the whatever and um, then for the tell me everything proof we went for a similar thing it's like a lovely like turquoise cover and then it's like a therapist couch but we were talking about it and we were like i just don't think like the story 
this that is just it just doesn't match like it doesn't match my voice it doesn't match the story it's like got no like edge it doesn't say that there's anything like queer in the book it doesn't say that there's anything like I don't know it it doesn't like speak to like the romance element and like the rom-com element and so we had a look at like other covers in a similar space that we really liked and we looked at um like Emily Henry's covers um like Bethany Rutter various other ones and um worked with a designer and eventually came up with this what could either be two women whispering or two women just about to kiss and it's just like the colors are amazing i'm so so happy with it it's just my favorite thing it's i mean it's a really striking cover and yeah but even i remember when you first posted the reveal and i was like oh man this looks excellent but yeah straight away it struck me as being quite different from the split which i think is yeah um if if most people maybe don't realize or don't notice is actually quite uncommon uncommon for someone's second book like normally you would still try and follow that look yeah so, but i'm so glad they didn't because it's so amazing i think publishing queer rom-coms is still like a space that is so new like it's so it's and like publishers i think are still trying to figure out exactly what to do so like i'm aware of being a bit of a guinea pig and like I'm happy to be a guinea pig because like I want to be published in this space and I want other people to be published in that space and we just need to figure out like what works and what reaches people and what connects and so like yeah I think in like future reprints of the split we'll probably change the cover to be closer to the tell me everything cover yeah, and sort of like amazing. move into that style yeah so it's really cool just to be figuring out like that and like quirkers have been amazing with like just always being up for making changes and figuring stuff out as we go along rather than being really rigid and doing yeah. things like how they would normally do it yeah I've been very that's lucky. really cool because even since we spoke to you last like like with TikTok rom-coms and things like that the genre yes. has just gotten so much more popular and more mainstream yes. and like and I know in Australia it's probably different over there but in Australia it's even the kind of thing where like Emily Henry's books are stocked in indie bookstores now where they never would have taken they things are here like that too. before yeah um, so I just think it's really cool but I also like that you don't and your publishers don't want your book to look exactly like every other one on the shelf as well no. Yeah. It's not. yeah, and I think that's interesting yeah. too because you do share a publisher with Beth O'Leary, so it's it's yes. like it's interesting that they've gone for a slightly like you, you also don't want to look exactly like Beth's books that have those little pictures on the front and stuff. So yeah, yeah, I think it strikes a really nice balance. But I'm just interested in what you were saying before about obviously like romance becoming more mainstream but also like more queer romances becoming mainstream as well and I hope it's okay to ask this question but is there like a sense of not necessarily wanting it to be obviously queer to attract more audiences to the story in general and not have it boxed as like this is a queer story aka only queer people only or something yeah like as as to only appeal to queer people like it because to me it, it even reading the split and like again the cover for the split and obviously that's changed and stuff as well but that's what it seemed like there too to just be like this is a book that's a romance it's just so happens to be a queer romance as well like it's yeah rather than being like this is a queer like do, does that make sense does that just yeah sense? it totally <laughs> does it totally makes sense it's actually it's, it's really like it's a good question because it's a really hard sort of um it's a really hard balance like yeah I don't want it to be like this is a queer rom-com for queer people but I do want it to be a queer rom-com for everyone yeah. like so it's really getting there is a 
there is a straight audience for queer books, but it is about reaching them. Like we always use um, me and my we me and my agent always use the example of Shit's Creek, which is um like centered on like I know that it's like the family and whatever, but it's like David and then it's David and Patrick, and like that is the central love story. I know there's like Alexis and Ted and whatever, but they are they're the ones we're rooting for, and it's a it's a queer romance but it reached this insane massive audience and it's like beloved by straight people queer people everyone um and so it's just about like hitting those notes that reach everyone but I never want to shy away from it being queer like that's the last thing I want because I just think then you're in danger of alienating like a really core audience it almost seems like the discussions we have about young adult where it's like well Caitlin and I obviously read and appreciate young adult but we know we are not the main audience and it's almost like like you as as a if you were writing for young adults, you would never want to just write for adults who read young adult. You want to write for actual young adults, and it's almost the same way of like you want to write a queer story that queer people can enjoy and deserve to be seen and enjoy that. But even okay. better if it also can can be more mainstream. And it, yeah. it's it but it is sort of sad though that we have to make it appear more mainstream to get it out there because there is this sort of divide sometimes but it, it, it almost goes for any type of book whether that's something that's more literary or young adult yeah. versus adult when it, it's yeah. just those um we were talking to an author who studied this and it was like she had there was like a specific term for all the stuff that goes on around the the book and it's like all the cues for like the covers and I think it was Jodie McAllister yeah saying I forget about what the, she actually called it now yeah but yeah about like obviously where, where it's placed in the in store a bookshop and, and yeah oh yeah all yeah. that sort of the stuff, stuff all the indicators take, yeah to get a reader yeah. to a book yeah which we don't we don't I guess as, as like people who enjoy writing and stuff it's like well that shouldn't matter it should just be the book but the truth is that most people who pick up a book like that's not how they're yeah. thinking so we do have to sort of yeah. use those techniques I guess totally. yeah so how did like I guess the thing is though do you do you feel like that balance is there with that cover like you said it could be you couldn't look at that cover in a few different ways and interpret that how you want to totally I think queer people read that as a cover that is two women about to kiss and like some straight people might read it but they might not they'll see it as two women whispering to each other because it's called tell me everything and I just think it's I just think it's yeah it's great I think it really works they got it perfectly right yeah um so obviously the book's been out for a few months now and this time you got to do a little bit more stuff than you did for the split so tell us how you celebrated the release and was it a bit of like a double celebration for both your books yeah it did I like when the first time around when the split came out people were asking me like oh what's it like to be releasing a book in lockdown I I was like well I don't know what it's like (laughs) yeah but like of course but I was like there's I don't have anything to compare it to I've never I've never published a book before so I didn't realize how muted that experience was until tell me everything came out and then I was like oh it's really great to publish a book when bookshops are open um (laughs) so that was really great and I think I went and like signed a load of books on the day and like various bookshops. I went into Gaze the Word and signed like 
a pile as tall as me and that was really I really want to go into special. gays the word when we visit London yes oh, but then I was really like lovely. oh my god what if they don't have, like I was like well, I could buy tell me everything there but then I was like what if they don't yeah, have any co- they will I was have like, what it. if they don't have any stock they what will. am I gonna do oh my god <laughs> but yeah I'm really They'll excited to go there they're so lovely in there um and then I had a book launch like I had a big party at my local bookshop which is called Flocks Books in Leighton um in East London and we drank like cocktails that were mentioned in the book and I got to like do my speech and thank everybody and then we just got outrageously drunk like like outrageously drunk (laughs) and um I remember you had to make up for some lost yeah (laughs) exactly it did it felt like a massive celebration it was so 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 much fun so yeah I've like this time around has just been the best and I um aside from getting drunk to celebrate we've I've managed to do some fun like events and I went and did a little um tour with Lily Linden who wrote Double Booked and Bethany Rutter who wrote Welcome to Your Life we just had so much fun we went to like Leeds York and Manchester and then I you know done some events in like Brighton I've done a few events in London now and like actually getting to do stuff in person is just it's great who knew? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a whole new world. It really is. Yeah, a whole new That's world. So exciting. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah. Double booked as well is another one that I I want to read as well that I've. Been... It's so good. I'm biased because Lily's my friend, <laughs> um, but I I read it before I really knew her very well, and I loved it. It's so so funny. I think I actually said, "Oh no, this is like annoying and good." <laughs> <laughs> that is, no, that is funny though when you when yeah. you read books and you're like oh my god I love this but also now I hate myself a little bit because this is so good. yeah I was like how dare she be so funny she's like really encroaching on my space well I mean <laughs> yeah that, it, I, I definitely so I definitely good. enjoying your writing I totally trust your recommendations so I will have to get that as well yeah. so um also it's it's a, it's such a hard question to ask because I know it's really annoying when it's like you've had a book come out. What are you working on next? But we love asking this. We love our but yeah. it's, it's hard because it's like we want to celebrate what you've achieved, but also we yeah. are desperate for without more. being like next, 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 <laughs> next please. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I like talking about what's coming next. Are you working on anything? Well, yeah. So book three is coming out in May next year in the UK and the US. Um, which is really exciting. Ah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, we sold it in the US, which is mad exciting. So it's being published by Quercus here, like I signed again with Quercus, and um, by Vintage Anchor, so Penguin Random House in the US, which is really yeah, exciting. That's amazing. Um, yeah, thank you. So I wrote that I wrote that book really quickly ages ago now. So I'm on my final final round of like we've done the copy edits I've just done the first pass for the US um so we're like dangerously close to having a finished product now which is so exciting and so at the moment I am working very tentatively in the beginning stages of book four that's which is crazy yeah (laughs) so are you full-time writing now yeah so I'm full-time writing and then doing bits um, like I do mentoring and tutoring and stuff like that as well um, but all in the arena of of writing and yeah it's really fun living that is awesome. yeah because I feel like last time we spoke I was still working at the Guardian yeah I think you might have been yeah I think yeah. so yeah. yeah so I I left the Guardian in July last year and so I've been doing this full-time since which is amazing yeah that's yeah incredible. that is awesome 
yeah, yeah. I mean, congrats Thank on that as well, like full time. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Can you yeah. give us any ideas about what book number three is about? What can we expect? Yes. Let me try and think about what we've already Yeah, like online. what's been um, announced. Yeah. <laughs> so it is about it's about a group of friends who are living um, in London and they are really, really tired of all their living situations and through like various circumstances, they decide to buy a house together out in the countryside and turn it into like a queer commune. But one of the friends is madly in love with the other. Um, shenanigans yeah. ensue. Oh. Can't yeah. wait I love. Ev- I mean, every book blurb should have shenanigans in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. In, we just want everyone. Just wants shenanigans. Yeah. I just want some shenanigans. Um, yeah. That sounds great. I love their like a tree change. They're just <laughs> like, let's leave the city. <laughs> yeah, that's really it was cool. So, so fun to write. I, I like. I, honestly, I, I raced through it. I think I wrote it in about three months. Just like it was such a pleasure to write, which is like so rare. And I, I was kind of hoping that um, book four, I was going to have the same experience. And I was like, no, here we go. It's a slog again. <laughs> <laughs> can you give us any obviously can't tell us too much about book four but is there like at least a, a theme or a topic you can oh i thought we could leave her off the hook from oh, book four okay. considering she's working I, don't, on book I, four. I can't i can't say a single thing about book four <laughs> no let's my, leave that my for publishers next. don't even know yet yeah uh, yeah, yeah i think wonderful. you can have a bit more time with that one yeah. before anyone pesters you. you yeah thank you yeah. <laughs> So book three, May 2023. May 2023, yeah, UK, US, everywhere. It is so exciting to, you know, look back on our last conversation when you were telling us, tell me everything and sort of just giving us a few hints about what it was about. And then when we get to do these things and like revisit or even, you know, when we um, pick up books that, you know, from people that we've... There's a, Pass, a book. Yeah, like as people keep publishing books. Yeah, like Meg Rosoff's new book. I was like, oh, Caitlin, remember she was telling us about this and it sounded so good. Like, it's just, it's something so fun oh, about it. And yeah. we're like, oh my God, you made a thing. Like, ah, <laughs> we can see it in yeah, real life. I love it. Yeah. I mean, we always love asking people, you know, what other projects they're working on and everything. But yeah, I love, yeah, like a year later or more when that book is a more of a real thing. And I'm like, oh, that's right. That yeah. sounded really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. oh yeah that's so cool like a full circle yeah it's yeah. really nice oh wonderful thank you so much for joining us can you remind people where they can find and follow you online yes so i'm on twitter at laura eliza k i'm on instagram at laura ek and my website is laura k author.co.uk i'm everywhere <laughs> just search laura k author and yeah. there i am yeah. oh thank you, you so much for places. joining us it's been lovely to have a little update thank you for having me oh, thank you um, and yeah, Tell Me Everything is available now. And book three, yeah, everywhere now. more details coming soon, will be out next year. Our favourite guest with multiple names. <laughs> Danielle Wood, or as you may know her from her contemporary fiction novels, Minnie Dark. Since we spoke to Danielle about creating Minnie and her book Starcrossed in mid-2019, she's published two more novels, The Lost Love Song in 2020 and With Love from Wish & Co in 2022. All of Minnie's books are heartwarming and feel just that little bit magical. And if you haven't picked up With Love from Wish & Co yet, you'll be dying to after you hear our chat with Danielle. It's all about presence. It's perfect timing. (laughs) It's perfect timing. Marnie runs Wish & Co, a boutique that offers a bespoke gift-giving service. 
but she finds herself in a bit of a pickle after mixing up her client's anniversary gift for his wife and the birthday present for his mistress and drama ensues. Enjoy this chat with Danielle talking all about her wonderful novels. So we spoke to you while the episode aired. I actually don't know when we first interviewed you, Danielle. Um, but the episode aired in July 2019, all about Starcrossed. And obviously since then, we've all done many, many things. Um, but I looked up, obviously, when your other books, As Many Dark, were published. And I didn't realise that the Lost Love Song was published in March 2020. Yeah, that was just about the worst month you know, in, in history, in history. To, to have a book published. So I had this beautiful book launch planned where a fabulous band from Victoria called The Maze were going to travel down to Hobart and play at the launch and uh, it was going to be great. And then there was no launch at all in March 2020. Yeah. And um, everything, so I mean, you must have had I mean, I know for all books around that time, like, you know, these grand campaigns that we, you know, all these plans that we always have, oh, it must have, everything must have been cancelled. That must have been so strange. I was actually on the road um, just ahead of publication. So I was travelling through Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland just as borders were closing and there was one day when I was in Brisbane when uh, the Prime Minister at the time said, I don't think anybody should be shaking hands. Um, and, you know, I was about to fly home to Hobart the next day. And in Brisbane, I was meeting someone I'd never met before. And I was thinking, oh, no, I'm a shocking hugger. And so what's this going to be like? I'm going to meet this person I've never met before. And because we've corresponded a lot, I would normally want to hug her. What are we going to do? So I sent her a text message ahead of time. And this was my first experience with that kind of you know, COVID weirdness. And and we agreed that when we met, we would curtsy. <laughs> I love that. I do, it's weird looking back, like, because it's not that long ago in the grand scheme of things. But I remember, like, I... I the newness I of the weirdness. Today. Was, yeah. yeah. I, I looked up something today and I it was the first time I'd gone on, like, the Guardian UK homepage and I was like, oh, I didn't even realise they've stopped publishing like the number of cases and stuff. I think with the changes to restrictions and stuff in Australia, it's just, it's weird. You don't notice that suddenly, oh, we're not, we're not doing this anymore. And yeah, it just, as you say, like reminded me of those first few days where you were like, and even I've been listening to some old podcasts of like certain podcasts I enjoy and I'm listening to episodes that obviously aired then because I wasn't listening then. So I'm like catching up. And hearing them talk about different parts of lockdown, like whether it's, because we were in England, like whether it was, oh, you can only exercise for one hour a day or something like just, and you're like, oh yeah, that was a weird thing that happened. It just, it's such a strange blip and it's, oh, it's so weird. Actually, now that we're talking about that, I'm reminded that it wasn't that long after that time in March, 2020, when I was working on my new book, the one that's just come out in August this year. And at that time, one of the questions that authors really had to write, ask themselves was, is this book I'm writing going to be set in a COVID reality, in a pre-COVID reality? Is it going to be set in a post-COVID reality? And if so, what does that look like? And so if you're writing a, you know, a romantic comedy like, like I was, you obviously don't want the book to be too heavy or too depressing, but you're trying to imagine the world that a book might emerge into two years hence. 
um, what kind of world will it be? Will it be a world where you meet people and you hug them or, you know, you know, there was that period of time where everybody sort of had to introduce condoms and crinkly wrappers into sex scenes, you know, where we're going to be living in a world where all of a sudden, you know, you have to remove your mask before the first kiss, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so yeah. funny no, to think about totally, in the context of writing totally romance, valid. actually, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about it from a writing perspective, um, especially knowing that, you know, it's going to be a couple of years before that book is out at the time we were all like, oh yeah, this isn't going to last very long. And obviously things have progressed. So yeah. So tell us a bit about the book. That's, that leads us on nicely. Tell us a bit about the book. What did you go with in the end? Yeah. Does COVID exist or not? <laughs> uh, COVID, COVID does not get a mention in with love from Wish and Co. So I guess it's, I guess it's set in a, I guess it's set in a pre COVID reality or a sufficiently post-COVID reality that it's not uppermost on anybody's minds anymore. So it's okay. You can approach this novel without having to think about a pandemic. Um, so it's a story about a professional gift buyer. And I wrote a story about a professional gift buyer because a while ago I was, um, my day job was stressing me out a bit and I thought I really need a new day job. And I set my imagination to work on what that might be. And my imagination came up with this great idea that I could be a professional gift buyer, that wealthy men would pay me to just make the perfect gift appear in the lives of everybody that they love on all the right dates. And that I would work out how to buy the perfect gift for all their loved ones by um, you know, stalking them on social media. I would love actually, this, this job. Could be, this could be really good for my partner, actually. Uh. <laughs> yes, well, you know, just quietly, it'd be really good for my brother-in-law because I did see him once offer to pay his own wife $1,000 to change a nappy because he said, I just can't face another nappy today. <laughs> and, and I thought, hmm, men who would throw money at a problem like that, you know, surely they would pay someone lots of money to just take gift buying out of their lives. So that was the world I imagined. Of course, I didn't ever become a professional gift buyer, but um, the perk, of course, of being a novelist is you can just make up whatever you want in a book. So Yeah, it's totally invented... a job that exists. It's real. Uh, yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, yeah. And you get to occupy it. And look, my, my mother is an extremely good gift buyer and she's also a freakishly good gift wrapper. So I've grown up in my life with, you know, really precision folding in the gift wrapping and beautifully oh. tied ribbons and, you know, the, the ends of the ribbons cut just so and maybe even a little bit of clear nail polish on the end oh, so wow. they don't fray, you know. I am I am picturing like the Rowan Atkinson moment. Oh, in Love in Actually. Love Actually with the little extra sprinkles. Yes, and the cinnamon <laughs> stick. Oh, yes. I do love it. I try to think that I'm good at gift wrapping. I know I'm not that good at it, but... um. We literally say Tui wrapping in my family, which is in the bag it came in or another plastic bag. Well, <laughs> Hey, you're reusing. It's good for the environment. There is, there is a lot of gift wrap porn in uh, With Love From Wish & Co. There's lots of wrapping, lots of ribbon tying, uh, lots of beautiful presents are bought for people. So that's what Marnie does for a job. But um, the story really begins when her um, best client... Um, he has two occasions coming up on the same day, his 40th wedding anniversary that he is celebrating with his lovely wife, Suzanne, and the 65th wedding anniversary, uh, 65th birthday of his lover, Leona. So Marnie has bought two presents, very different, of course, because these are very different women. Two boxes, both alike in size and shape, both due to be delivered on the same day. What could possibly go wrong? 
Oh, what everything possibly go wrong? <laughs> so I had an almost ridiculous yeah. amount of fun writing the scene in which poor Suzanne opens the wrong gift. Another love actually moment. And almost. yes, actually, yeah. actually, there. Yeah, you mention it that um, that moment in Love Actually where Emma Thompson realizes she's not getting the necklace, but instead getting the Joni Mitchell CD is just. One of the most devastating moments in film, I reckon. Oh, yeah. in our minds. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this book really takes that whole idea, you know, a lot, lot, lot further. So um, having made this terrible mistake, Marnie then sets out to fix it. And in so doing, she ends up in the company of the son of Brian and Suzanne. And he takes a very dim view of what it is that she does for a living. He thinks that it's ethically not very sound to outsource your gift buying. Um, so I sort of envisage him as a bit of a Mr. Knightley character. So, you know, from um, Jane Austen's Emma, Knightley is the one who really calls Emma on whether or not the way she's behaving is okay or not okay. And and Luke is the character in With Love from Wish & Co who casts some doubts in Marnie's mind about whether what she's doing is really a very ethical profession. Mm. I mean... I love it. I can't wait to see how this unfolds. <laughs> what would you? How would you feel if you know a significant other in your life gave you the perfect gift, but then you found out that he'd employed someone else to choose it? How would you feel? It's really mm, tricky, I isn't think, it? Because part I of me wants I would feel to say, about that. "Isn't it nice though that he knew that he couldn't do it, and he still, <laughs> and so he asked for help, not true. just." gave you money or a gift card or something bad or I don't know. That's kind of true. I do like the thought that I do like the thought that it's, um, you know, yeah, they've, they've, they've thought, they've thought enough to be like, I'm going to put some effort into getting them something that they do like rather than like you say, just getting a gift voucher or something. But yeah, now that you mention it, I think I'd feel a bit icky too. Like it's a really tricky, I don't know. it's a really tricky one. It's so tricky, especially because, like, when I buy gifts, like, I put a lot of thought into it and stuff. So, like, I want that from other people. So, yeah, it is tricky. It's a good conundrum to sort of explore in a book. Like, I can see why that idea attracted you. And, look, when you start thinking about gifts and you start doing a bit of research into gift giving, it's not just a really frivolous thing that we do in this sort of ultra-capitalist consumer society we live in. If you go right back through time, gift giving has always been a part of human society and it's actually also a part of some animal communities. There are some um, primates and, and birds that effectively give gifts. And so it turns out that really gift giving is one of the ways that creatures who live in social communities, it's one of the ways we establish bonds and um and nurture our bonds with each other. So once upon a time, it would have been all about survival. You know, I, I might give you food so that then you don't have to go out and hunt for that food yourself and that boosts your chances of survival. So of course, you know, what we choose for each other as gifts here in the 21st century obviously doesn't carry the weight of survival, but we are actually hardwired biologically to do this thing where we, we give and receive things as part of the way we maintain these incredibly important social bonds because we are social creatures who who live in packs essentially. I think too there's like there's an element especially for like close friends so if I'm getting a present for Caitlin there's a lot of for me anyway there's a lot of sort of significance in 
thinking like, what will that person like? And you're sort of, you are sort of showing them, hey, I know you and I picked this because I know you will like it. Um, or it may, or it made me think of you and I don't know that there, there is like, it, it's funny. I've never thought about this before, but now you've got me thinking about it. There is a lot around it, isn't there? Absolutely. And I think probably if the book has a message and I wouldn't want anyone to think that it's, you know, a didactic book with a message, but if it did have a message, <laughs> it would probably be that the real gift that you give to someone when you give them a gift is the gift of being seen. It says, I really see you. I really know who you are. I really know what sort of thing you would like. And Marnie, the professional gift buyer, she has a little formula. Um, she says that there's like a Venn diagram with three circles and, and they overlap. One is the occasion, one is the person themselves, and the other is the story of your relationship. And so in the, in, in the, middle, of, mm. in the middle of that Venn diagram is where you'll find, you know, the perfect thing. That's good because yeah, I think sometimes wow. people don't take the occasion into consideration. Like even like at the time of recording, Father's Day is this weekend. Even mm-hmm. like a week or so ago, I was texting with my sister um, just confirming these things for Father's Day. And she just, I forget what she said now, but I said, I was like, no, like we've done enough. Like, you know, we love our father, but like <laughs> it's a random father's day in a year. I was like, we can save like a bigger present for the next milestone birthday or something. You know, I was like, we're covered for this father's day. We're good. <laughs> it's a bit yeah. of a funny thing oh. sometimes, but this sounds wonderful. Yeah. And as you said, um, with love from wish and co only just came out in August this year very new on shelves one of the other kind of things I researched while I was writing it is you know the best and worst gifts that various people I know have ever received so great you know every everybody that I was running into there for a few months was like so what's the best gift you've ever been given and what's the worst (laughs) gift you've ever been given and um (laughs) one of the worst gift stories made it into the novel which was that a friend of mine was given a single toothpick by her aunt who came back from an overseas holiday and I don't know if you remember once upon a time on international airlines they used to wrap up toothpicks in little cellophane packaging (laughs) and so it had the it had the name of the fancy airline on it and so she regarded this toothpick wrapped in cellophane as an actual gift and she gave it to her niece that is so funny that's terrible. That, <laughs> but funny. So funny. I mean, it's so but. funny because it's exactly the kind of shit gift you give to people when you get back from a trip like that. You're like, I have the hotel soap. I have the airline, whatever. <laughs> That's so funny. That's, it's so bad. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And um, wow. some of the others, oh, there was so, and someone else who said she went to Christmas at her grandmother's house and her grandmother had remembered presents for all of the cousins except her. And so her grandmother had hurriedly gone off and um, wrapped up a stack of magazines, you oh. know, and some of them were some of them were quite nice, but the trouble was all the puzzles were already done. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh. oh, my goodness. That's, I that's mean, awkward. yeah. Talking about gifts. I'm interested, like, you don't have to tell us the actual best gifts, but I'm interested to know the best gifts. Was it because, were they the best because they had like some sort of sentimental value, or was it because they were big showy gifts? It was rarely because they were big showy gifts. It, uh, It was much more often that it was incredibly personal and and also strangely enough a lot of people it wasn't a thing it was an experience so that was that was an interesting thing to note as well yeah Yeah. and my own very best gift my husband has given me the best gift twice 
the same gift. So when we first met, he bought me a little grey and tan Kelpie puppy. And um, that was a Valentine's Day present when we hadn't known each other all that long. And that um, beautiful little grey and tan Kelpie puppy lived with us and was the love of our life for 13 years. And so then I got another little grey and tan <laughs> Kelpie puppy who's um, oh. now four years old and sitting at my feet. So, um, yeah, oh. that, that for me was just the ultimate gift and, yep, I got it twice. That's pretty good that, like, it's rare that the same thing will work just as well a second time. But also big call to get someone a dog quite early in a relationship. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that um, I think that I had been agitating quite hard. Well, then it's fine. <laughs> love that. Now, with love from Wish and Co, isn't the only sort of thing you've been working on. I understand that you've actually got an audio book uh, novella coming out. So um, it's called Wild Apples, and it's set in um, a place called Love It, which in some ways doesn't exist and in other ways does exist. So there's a little town in southern Tasmania called Signet and it's uh, in the apple growing region of Tasmania. And for a very short time in its history, it was actually called Lovett. So I have set my novel in that little town of Lovett, which could reasonably be read as sort of a parallel universe version of our very own little signet. Now, um, being an apple growing region, back in the 50s and 60s, the girls of the district would compete for the title of the apple queen. So the apple queen was kind of a beauty queen, but it wasn't only a beauty contest. It was also a test of your knowledge of the apple industry. So Such a country Australian thing. Yeah, I just love it's it. perfect. So she would be then sent on a tour around Australia to, you know, talk to people about her ladies in the snow and her Jeevston fannies and all the rest. And um, one of the characters in my novella is Thea Marquis, who's now an old woman, and in her youth uh, she was the apple queen. But the main character is her daughter Jane, and Jane has just returned to love it um, and she uh, is living with her perennially disappointed mother and her very angry teenage daughter. Um, and so she's stuck in this generational sandwich. And it's a, it's a situation that a lot of women will know, that kind of sandwich caring where you've got teenage children, but then you've also got aging parents to take care of. So I was interested in women who are in that situation, in that gen generational sandwich, in that caring role, where is there room for them to fall in love? Where is room for them to start a new life or have, have whatever they want for themselves in life? So I've written a novel that it involves quite a lot of frustration because Jane meets a man. His name is Drew. He's a celebrity chef. And um, in many ways he seems perfect, but every time they are about to connect one or the other of her uh, responsibilities, whether it's her mother or her daughter, they create a drama that gets in the way. So it's a multi-generational story um, with apples and apple queens. That sounds so lovely. So when is that um, going to be available? I'm not sure of the exact date, um, but um, the the text of it is just being finalised as we speak and I imagine it'll be early next year. Oh, so wonderful. it was an interesting thing to do, though, to write a novella as opposed to a novel. It required quite different thinking um, in some ways about obviously how much you can fit in, what you need to leave out, but also questions of pacing. So it's it came with its challenges uh, when you sort of 
quite accustomed to thinking in categories that are about 90,000 words long to write something that's half that size involves more revisions because you still need a very satisfying story but how do you get a very satisfying story into that smaller shape I'm curious too knowing that it was for audio only did that change the way that you wrote things yeah great question it did actually um I thought hard about that and I, I really concentrated even more than usual. I mean, I always concentrate on the rhythm of sentences, but I concentrated even more on that. And um, I read it aloud to myself sometimes to make sure that um, the sentences had a certain kind of flow. I also probably used more punctuation than I would normally use in just ordinary text because when you're reading, you know, when you're reading with your eyes, you're reading text on the page, you've got time to sort of do that decoding but I knew that I was writing sort of instructions for a reader, if you like, for, for the voice actor. Um, and so I was trying to make it really easy on them with, okay, here are the brackets, here are the dashes, here are the commas that separate out that clause. I suppose even as an author writing an audio-only novella, it's a little bit more script-like. Like it's different if like just reading an audio book. I don't know how much adjustment even happens to prepare a novel to be read as an audio book. But yeah, audio-only very different. Yeah, I find I find on a very small scale when I have to write radio scripts um, and I'm turning, say, like a feature article I've written into a radio program, obviously the quotes that I've pulled out obviously have to stand alone and I cut that audio and then I link it with a script and, yeah, sometimes I will it'll be fine and then I'll sit down to record it and as I'm recording I'm realising, oh, I'm getting out of breath. Okay, it's not that it's like not this sentence work. is too long <laughs> because, yeah, because I'm trying to fit too much in. And it's funny, sometimes we will swap. Sometimes one reporter will write a 30-second news item, for example, and swap it with someone else. And that will have been subbed by other people. But, like, I recorded one for someone today and as I was in the middle of it, like, I was like, oh, I would have as I say this, I think it sounds better if I, if you use this word instead or, you know, and it's not until you are actually there reading it out that you're like, Oh, this works better. So yeah, I, I wrote that question after that experience this <laughs> afternoon. I was like, Oh, I wonder, I went, cause yeah, that would. And I guess you're also not worrying about how that it's, it's not the same. Like you said, Caitlin, it's not the same as writing a book which is then turned into a radio uh, sorry turned into an audio book so did you like put more dialogue in as well or was it just the more the shorter sentences and short slightly shorter sentences or if I wrote longer sentences I'm heavier on the punctuation thinking very clearly about the kind of um, the cadence of the sentence but the other thing that I've really noticed with my other books being turned into audiobooks is that often there are very sly little jokes in my writing that really only come across with the right sort of inflection. So actually reading audiobooks, whether they are only for audio or whether they're for book and audio, it's a real skill because you're trying to uh, get all of the meanings that the author had into it. Hopefully you're trying to do that, but sometimes they can be missed. I've noticed that sometimes I'll be listening to an audiobook being read and I'll think, oh, that little joke I wrote in there, that obviously didn't quite translate. So I, I probably thought a little bit more clearly about more obviously signposting when I was maybe being a little bit tongue in cheek or something like that. You're like, I have to be clear, get it right. <laughs> 
That's so, yeah, that's so interesting. I don't think we've ever had that sort of discussion with someone before. So I'm fascinated by that. I can't wait to listen to it as well. And it is written by Minnie Dark. Yes, yes, yes that's correct. Yes. And and I'm really looking forward to, to having another go now, having written one novella. I'm, I'm keen to try another one. Um, to sort of implement the things I learned about that 40 to 45,000 word limit. So, And obviously um, we said at the top that, you know, we spoke to you for Starcross, which was your first book published as Mini Dark, and now well, we've just published three and then this novella. So how are you liking being Mini Dark now? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I would really actually like a clone about now <laughs> because, um, you know, I do have my own projects as well um, as as myself, as Danielle Wood, I'm writing a novel about um, Lake Pera, which is a, a lake in southwest Tasmania that was drowned back in 1972. It was covered up by a, a hydroelectric dam. So um, it was a beautiful, pristine lake in the southwest wilderness here. And as part of this hydroelectric program, it was a project It was turned into a massive impoundment of water. And for 50 years, people have been fighting to have this lake restored, and that campaign is ongoing. And although there have been quite a lot of sort of non-fiction stories written about it, nobody's written a novel about it yet. So um, I'm beavering away on that. Yes, yeah, so being Minnie Dark and Danielle Wood at the same time is, um, it, it would be handy to have a clone, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Being two people at once gets quite... Uh busy and tricky (laughs) yeah especially doing different projects which obviously have very different voices and stuff as well so does it ever just get a bit muddled do you just think oh my gosh I just need to stop why can't I just be one person (laughs) (laughs) yeah look I, I think I'm a product of my education and at the time that I went through the education system Um, Obviously, I did all of the English subjects because I was a wordy kind of kid. But one of the things that was very big um, when I was at school was the idea of write something, now write it in a different kind of way, now write it as a different kind of text form, now write it from a different point of view. So I think I was really trained um, in my high school and year 11 and 12 studies to really think about um, being incredibly adaptable and versatile as a writer. So it probably makes sense that I've gone on to be able to flick between registers relatively easily. So I was a journalist for quite a while and you would know what that's like. You Sometimes you're writing a news story and that requires you to write in a particular kind of register, but then if you're writing a feature story, that has a different kind of voice. And so actually flicking between text types and voices doesn't trouble me too much. Um, I actually really quite enjoy it because sometimes you might be starting to get a little bit sick of the sound of your own voice and um yeah yeah. you can just do something else instead absolutely are you glad from like a marketing and and book perspective that you did sort of split those personas absolutely because I think that when you when you pick up a book you have an expectation about what kind of experience you're buying and so if you're buying a mini dark book the experience you're buying is a happy ending um, a little bit of escapism. You, there might be some things to think about along the way, but basically, you know, you're buying a piece of entertainment and enjoyment. And if you're buying a Danielle Wood book, you might be, I'm, I'm afraid a happy ending won't be guaranteed. And um, you're going to be a lot more in a, in a real world and there'll be a less, less escapism um, going on. Now, you know, there are horses for courses. Everybody will pick the kind of book that they like. I, For example, I don't really particularly like crime 
novels. Um, I don't like horror because I'm easily scared. I don't actually want to read about people dying or being frightened or anything like that. But but I understand fully that there are people who do love that. That's great. That means they can go pick the kind of experience that they want to have. And so I think that as Danielle Wood, I offer a reader's one sort of experience and some readers might really like that. And as Minnie Dark, I offer them a different kind of experience and some people will like that. Of course, there can be crossover, you know, back to the, the Venn diagram. Some people might like both but at least the separate names gives readers a way of choosing for themselves, choosing wisely. Yeah, and it means you can market market in a particular way as well, which is good. Yeah, oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate this quick little catch-up. It's lovely to hear what you've been working on. Where can people find and follow you online? So they can find me at www.minidark.com. And I'm just Mini Dark on Instagram. I've never got the hang of Twitter, so you won't find me there. Um, but you can also find um, Danielle Wood at www.daniellewood.com.au. So you'll find me. I'm around. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you for having me, both of me. <laughs> thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at BetterWordsPod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book loving friend and leave a rating or review. Mm-hmm.